Hello, and welcome to the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. I'm Jenna Layden, the founder of Star Family Wisdom, and also a former Global Vice President for Whole Foods Market. I'm so glad you're with us today. Star Family Wisdom is a paradigm-shifting podcast, community, and modern-day mystery school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. And on this podcast, we share ideas and information and real-life supernatural experiences that will help you expand your consciousness and begin your journey of transformation and evolution. At Star Family Wisdom, we are experiencers of ET contact and paranormal and supernatural phenomena, and it's our mission to demystify and bring into the light what has maybe been hidden or maybe been part of our shadow as a human race. And in today's episode, we are talking about some of that shadow, and it comes on the heels of our last episode where Sinead Wellahan, my podcast co-host, did a book review of Paul Wallace's Scars of Eden. Paul Wallace, one of our favorite researchers, has done immense work to understand the history of humanity through our biblical narratives and texts, while also researching spiritual texts from around the world, indigenous origin stories, indigenous cultural myths and folklore that all come together to tell a very different story of our human history. And in today's episode, we're talking specifically about giants, and we're doing a conversation about a book, Giants, Record. If you are a fan of the History Channel, you may be familiar with the authors of this book. Jim is the writer and star of History Channel's Search for Giants, and Hugh Newman has been a regular on their Ancient Alien series. If you are interested in Ancient Aliens or have watched any of that and want to go even deeper, check out episode four that we did with Reverend Michael J.S. Carter, uh, where we go into topics about potential giants on earth. And today we're going much further than just the potential of giants on earth. We're examining the evidence, the well-researched evidence that exists on our planet. And we're going to be having a discussion about the fact that giants have walked the face of the earth and how giant remains, skeletal remains of giants are being found worldwide and how this really begs a review of our current worldview and our agreed upon human history. And before we get into all of that evidence, why is it important that we talk about the evidence and we talk about giants? It is my opinion that we have forgotten and suppressed an immense amount of our history that really speaks to who we have been and who we might be able to become as humans. And we've largely misinterpreted a lot of those ancient texts that were left for us that, in my opinion, are a combination of historical record, spiritual uh, teachings, and 
information that helps us understand our origins. And the truth of our origins is not totally comfortable for us as humans to integrate and understand. And uh, that's one reason we're big fans of the work of Paul Wallace and other researchers like Jim and Hugh who are bringing this evidence into the, the forefront, into the mainstream more and more. And it's important that we start to have conversations about what this means for us and, and what this is going to require in terms of us rewriting our history and rewriting our human origin stories. And traditions all over the world have spoke of giants. You know, we hear of giants in the biblical texts referred to as the Nephilim and giants like Goliath, who was defeated by David, if you're familiar with some of those biblical uh, passages. And in Europe, we hear of legends of ice giants in Nordic tradition and the Tuatha de Danann in Ireland and Celtic traditions and even the Titans of Greece and the legends of Cyclops, the one-eyed giants. So all over the world, we have stories and legends of giants having existed. And up until maybe the last few decades, that's largely been thought of as myth and maybe just some you know, figment of our human imagination. But we also see megalithic structures all around the world that defy our construction abilities today. And certainly the construction abilities that we should have if we had, um, if our agreed upon human history is correct, right? Like if what we've all been presented in our history classes is correct, we should be able to replicate all of those sites. So I can tell you after examining all of the evidence, it appears to me that, you know, the history that's contained in these legends and these myths is history that just got passed down through thousands of years of written and, his, and an oral record, which largely has been distorted or got destroyed during that span of time. And we know that the great flood of biblical tradition and other traditions was a real event that happened. And we know that that destroyed a great deal of our written record. And so what has remained has lived on through myth and legend. And now we are seeing a very different picture of our human history emerging based on the evidence and research that people like Jim and Hugh are presenting. And we're specifically going to focus on their book, Giants on Record, which is targeting the Americas and evidence of giants ranging in size from seven feet to 14 feet. And in their book, there's a map of where giant remains have been found all throughout the United States of America and some into Canada and South America. And this map is extraordinary because it really sums up the amount of evidence that we have in almost every state. We have seen evidence of giants. And so before we go into some of that physical evidence of skeletal remains, I want to touch on uh, some pieces of history that Jim and Hugh bring forth in this book from the 1500s and 1600s when uh, the Spanish and Europeans 
we're navigating the globe and reaching the Americas and you know, what was the beginning of some dark times for the indigenous people in the Americas, but in some of the written records of those voyages and uh, those navigations, we now start to see corroborative evidence of giants existing as recently as the 15 and 1600s. So in 1520, Ferdinand Magellan voyages to the Patagonia area of South America and someone who was with him named Antonio Pigafetta uh, kept a diary. And in it, he said, when he was before us, he began to marvel and to be afraid and raised one finger upward, believing that we came from heaven. And he was so tall that the tallest of us only came up to his waist. And also in the early 1500s, Hernando de Soto arrived in the Gulf of Mexico area in what is now the modern day United States. Um, and specifically in, in and around the states of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And he recounted that he met several Native Americans that were at least one foot taller than most Europeans. And throughout all of these chronicles, we see um, very tall indigenous people ranging in height from maybe seven feet all the way up to 12 or 14 feet. And Sir Francis Drake arriving in California in 1579 chronicled meeting tall Native Americans with quote, Herculean strength. Pedro Sarmiento, a Spanish captain in 1580 also reported seeing what he deemed giants in the area. And in 1592, Thomas Cavendish wrote of two Patagonians 12 feet tall. And then in the 1600s, Willem Schouten and Jacob Lemaire, Dutch circumnavigators, saw remains and burial sites of humans that were 10 to 11 feet tall. And then again, as late as 1670, John Wood wrote that None of the seven Patagonians he met were, um, you know, not much above six feet, so that most of the ones he was meeting were much taller than, than he was. And, you know, we start to see through a lot of these accounts that uh, there seemed to have been a wide range of types of indigenous people in the Americas. And we'll get into some of this later, but it appears as though our Native American tribes intermingled with the giant race of our more ancient times that, it, that survived and existed after the flood. And so here we have just a few accounts that Jim and Hugh talk about that start to paint a picture of uh, giants not necessarily being a, a, a thing of our ancient, ancient past, but maybe being a race of human-like beings who lived concurrently with us in more recent times.
And I think it's worth pausing here just to acknowledge the fact that we might have had a better understanding of our origins and um, the times that came before the colonial conquests, if that colonial conquest hadn't happened because of the destruction and the violence that occurred through that. And I think we are experiencing a reckoning of that right now on earth and, and really understanding obviously the damage that white colonialism did across the globe. And we're just now recovering um, our, our full understanding of that damage. And, uh, and as we talk about the history of giants and the history of um, these other races of human-like beings, it's clear that we lost a lot of that history because of that, those dark times and that violence that occurred by the, the colonial conquests. So, so it's through you know, these sorts of conversations that we can bring to light um, the truth of our history and start to have a different conversation and, and start to recognize you know, what got suppressed and what got covered up for a long time. Even some of our US presidents the very early ones um, knew of these races of giants and um, larger Native Americans who, who lived in the Americas. During the French and Indian War, the US's first president, George Washington, reported that his squadron found Native American remains while digging in the area of Virginia and that they found skeletons over seven feet tall. And in 1804, Thomas Jefferson met with leaders of the Osage tribe in Washington, D.C., and Hugh and Jim document that uh, Mrs. Margaret Bayard Smith, who was a close friend of Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, um, wrote how he described the Osage Native Americans, and apparently he described them as tall, erect, finely proportioned, and majestic in their appearance, dignified, graceful, and lofty in their demeanor. They seem to be nature's own nobility. And prior to being president, Abraham Lincoln visited Niagara Falls in 1848, and he delivered a speech there, which is on record. And he said, when Columbus first sought this continent, when Christ suffered on the cross, when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, nay, even when Adam first came from the hand of his maker, then as now Niagara was roaring here, the eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. And so we'll talk about the mounds because we have examples of incredible mound structures all across the United States. And Jim and Hugh have done a fabulous job of documenting the evidence that has been found in and around these mounds. And before they get into documenting that evidence, they also uh, include some clippings and uh, various history records from towns across America. And a couple stood out to me that were 
pretty uh, interesting in terms of what it tells us about these beings. In the history of the town of Rockingham, Virginia, in 1907, written by Lyman Simpson Hayes on page 338, excavations revealed a Native American skeleton, and it was reported that the jawbone was so large it could easily fit over a regular human head. And they have photos of this in the book where the jaw is like over my jaw. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this just like completely would overwhelm and cover a human head. And the teeth were double rowed. So there were double rows of teeth. And this is consistent in what has been found of skeletal remains around the United States. And in the history of the town of Middleborough, Massachusetts in 1906, Thomas Weston wrote about this, page 400. He wrote about more remains being found when a road was being repaired and that those remains showed that the thigh bone would have been about four inches longer than normal and that this being would have stood almost eight feet in height and also had double rows of teeth. And in the evening news, January 14th, 1904 in Winnemucca, Nevada, skeletal evidence was found of red-headed giants. And the bones of one indicated that it would have been about 11 feet in height. And, and again, Hugh and Jim include clippings of newspaper articles and these findings from small towns around the U.S., all this information is still out there. It just needed to be compiled in a way that we could really, you know, see the story that was emerging. And I should say here too as well that in 1936, the Nevada Journal clarified those findings that we just spoke about, correcting the story, saying the skeleton was only nine and a half feet tall, but still much taller than the average human, much taller than we would have expected to find. And Hugh and Jim go on to write about other records that, you know, include Native American uh, interaction with, with giants and, and that perhaps there were both smaller in stature Native American humans and taller in stature giant-like humans the same time in the Americas. In the Tales of Fort Snelling, written in 1849, it recounts legends of Sioux Native Americans of a, quote, race of men who stood as tall as the trees. And this is an interesting uh, point they include. They share a photo of a 3,000-year-old monolith called Judicula Rock from Jackson County, North Carolina. And this rock has extraordinary drawings, um, by the way, a few of which look like octopi, as a side note. And it's thought that the legend of the rock points to very early Cherokee, Native American, and giant interactions. And the Smithsonian Institution in 1900 published 
um, a, a documented statement by James Mooney um, that James Wofford of the Western Cherokee was born in Georgia in 1806. And he says that his grandmother, who must have been born about the middle of the last century, so she would have been born in the 1700s, told him that she had heard from the old people long before her time that a party of giants had come to visit the Cherokee and that they were nearly twice as tall as common men and that their eyes had kind of a, a slant and they called them the slanted eye people because they looked like the giant hunter that they called Tsulkalu, and they said that these giants lived really far away in the direction in which the sun goes down, which would be in the west, and the Cherokee received them as friends, and they stayed for some time, and then they returned to their home in the west. And there are a lot of cryptologists that think that the giant hunter they uh, referred to, or that his grandmother referred to, um, may have been a version of Sasquatch because he was said to live, live in caves. And so we have this very interesting story here of Cherokee interaction with, with giants. And this, you know, likely would have been um, prior, you know, to the, the Trail of Tears when most of the Cherokee relocated to, to Oklahoma. This would have been prior to, um, you know, the white people showing up in America and wreaking havoc. So this story um, survived at least, you know, that long to have, have made it to, to this time. And in 1856, Henry Rowe Schoolcraft wrote a book called The Indian Fairy Book. So Jim and Hugh document this uh, short story as well as a kind of um, way of understanding how maybe our history has ended up in some mythology. So Henry Rose Schoolcraft married a Native American woman and uh, the way in which he honored uh, the traditions that he married into is debatable apparently, but I guess, I guess he collected stories and mythology from his wife who was familiar with lots of the different um, tribal you know, mythologies of the time. And the Indian fairy book tells a myth of a group of six giants who reside in a high lodge in the forest and are magical and sometimes use magic to disguise themselves to sneak into Indian villages. And it involves a story about a child whose family is killed by these giants. And then the boy must go through kind of a hero's journey, series of challenges to defeat the giants. And so throughout a lot of the um, oral history and record that is brought forth, we see stories of both things being true, that you know perhaps giants or the giant race that still existed concurrently with the smaller in stature race of humans, at some, in some ways, during some times, may have been violent towards those humans, but in other ways, in other times, and maybe, you know, other groups of those beings were quite friendly 
to the humans and the Native Americans, just like that Cherokee uh, story that Hugh and Jim document. And they go on to talk about all of the mounds around uh, the US and what has been found in these mounds and just how extraordinary some of this evidence is. And Serpent Mound in Ohio is one of the more fantastic and extraordinary uh, pieces of evidence of um, what may have been a more superhuman race of beings that lived on the planet. And this mound is 1,300 feet long, and it's near Peebles, Ohio. It is shaped in the shape of a serpent, hence the name Serpent Mound, and powerful magnetic and gravitational anomalies have been recorded there, supposedly created by a historic meteor impact crater at the site. And Ross Hamilton, author of Star Mounds, Legacy of a Native American History, views the Serpent Mound as a part of a larger constellation and a star map that might have existed in the area. And he found temple-like structures surrounding the mound. And that's very similar to other astronomical alignments seen at other temple sites on Earth. And Ross says, quote, we may begin to grasp the nearly superhuman efforts put into the planning and execution of the stunning organization of temple-like structures surrounding it, spanning no less than three states, including Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. A similar zodiac is also thought to exist around Glastonbury in England. And we likely just have not understood or had the perspective even to see that maybe these mounds are part of a larger uh, structure, a larger effort to put together some sort of star shrine or some sort of astronomically aligned ground plan on Earth based off of our previous knowledge from the earlier mother culture that may have existed on Earth. And skeletal remains have been found at Serpent Mound, and they're consistent with a lot of the other evidence around the U.S. Skeletons of seven feet or taller, jaw, jaw bones much larger than the average human, and most with double rows of teeth. And Similar remains have been found at Miamisburg Mound in Ohio, so nearby, and those were examined by Professor Thomas Wilson of the Center of Anthropology for the Smithsonian, and he said, the authenticity of the skull is beyond any doubt. Its antiquity unquestionably great. To my own personal knowledge, several such crania were discovered in the Hopewell group of mounds in Ohio, exhibiting very monkey-like traits. He goes on to talk about how the jaw projects beyond the face and the facial index is low. And he talks about the amount of objects found in the mounds and the amount of objects and types of objects that have been found illustrate some sort of prehistoric commerce in the area. And at other mounds, 
there have been a lot of paranormal um, activity that have been documented. The Grave Creek Mound is one such example of that where odd weather events have happened when people visit the mounds. And there are lots of legends that say the giants who existed likely had magical and psychic powers, were more superhuman in nature. And when you think about that, when you think about the cranial capacity, right, that these beings would have had, we can see the difference in, you know, skeletal size, the difference in cranial size. Naturally, that would have given them perhaps, you know, heightened abilities right? Their, their cranial capacity, their, their brain is, is much larger. And so theoretically that might, you know, give them this ability to um, access, you know, heightened abilities that maybe the smaller in stature humans have lost a bit. So anyway, it's highly possible that, you know, these beings who, you know, were preserving a much earlier understanding of magic, um, which, you know, we see throughout shamanic culture, we see throughout um, so many of, you know, our holistic healing practices today, magic is resurfacing, what we know about magic is um, evolving. And so, it is very true that magic exists and that our ability to manipulate energy exists. And, and so what is you know being documented around some of the paranormal activity at these sites seems so plausible to me in terms of that being some sort of hangover um, from the time that these beings existed. And it's thought that maybe they, you know, created certain energetic protection around these mounds and, and they, you know, set spells in place, right? Energetic um, intentions that led to a level of paranormal activity for those who trespassed. And um, at this mound in particular, the Grave Creek Mound, Strange energies, ghostly sightings, men in black, even Mothman type beings have been experienced in the area. And so it's thought that, you know, perhaps these are attempts to keep people away, to keep people from messing with the graves, right? And a, a tablet was found at this site. And this tablet had letters and writing on it. And what is extraordinary about this tablet, and Jim and Hugh include an entire section in the book on artifacts that have been found in, in the sites. And we're, we're gonna talk specifically about this one because I think it's one of the best. This tablet had letters and writing that appeared to be a corrupted version of Phoenician. And as a side note, the Phoenicians were also known as the Canaanites who originated from modern day Syria, Lebanon, and the area of Israel, which we know of as the Holy Land and stated in the Bible, we have evidence that there were giants existing in the Holy Land way back in the day. So all of a sudden, we have a very interesting connection with, quote, the Holy Land and the Americas with this tablet. So um, researchers and, uh, you know, cryptologists have uh, worked to translate 
the tablet. And based on uh, that understanding of those letters being a form of Phoenician, it was translated roughly as follows. The mound raised on high for Tasach, this tile his queen caused to be made. I have no idea if I'm saying that name right, but, but we can see here that there was an attempt at documenting why the mound was created and that it was maybe created for a certain, you know, like elevated in, you know, um, society person. So a person maybe who was a leader, a person um, who was a queen to a king, perhaps. And another tablet was found in West Virginia with similar writing and using the same technique to decipher the language that was used for the Grave Creek tablet. This one translates to, quote, the memorial of Teth, this tile his brother caused to be made. So here we have memorials of giant-like beings, and those tablets are memorializing these sites with Phoenician writing, which would have likely originated in what is now modern-day Middle East. So we have some very interesting connections forming around the world that um, blow up the history we were taught in school. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's, um, you know, worth noting too that in a lot of these sites, there have been Druid or Celtic-like stone circles found and, and even single stone monoliths that are of a size that indicates, you know, maybe a pre-colonial civilization um, in the Americas constructed them or put them into place just because of the sheer size of them. And, you know, it's again worth noting that in almost every single state in the United States, giant remains have been found. And the evidence points to this ancient race of human-like giants being very real and existing concurrently and potentially intermingling with many of our Native American tribes as late as the 18th century. And it makes me wonder and question that perhaps these giants that are now extinct for the most part, could they have been the descendants of the Nephilim that we've learned about, descendants of the fallen angels who mated with humans. Are they descendants of star beings who once interacted with humans on earth? And considering the size of the mounds and the evidence pointing to knowledge of astronomical and celestial bodies and alignment and an understanding of the zodiac and the constellations, could these giants have been from our prehistoric or antediluvian cultures who at one point in time may have had interaction with the star races? And it appears to me that many of the giants survived the flood, as did the smaller in stature humans. But over time, over the thousands of years that have passed, they were killed off by humans and likely, you know, a variety of natural causes as well. And... In fact, 49 bodies were unearthed near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, estimated to be 10,000 years old. 
And that connects with evidence we have of the timing of the flood and what would have been the fall of previous civilizations on earth. So based on all of the research I've done and I've seen, it does appear as though there was a prehistoric global maritime civilization that was the mother civilization of our current one. And that's where a lot of our occult and spiritual and esoteric knowledge was derived from or preserved from in various ways. And, and potentially <clears throat> the culture that our indigenous, you know, cultures have evolved from um, after they survived the flood. And for those who are familiar with Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, uh, who, who worked as a prophet in the mid-1900s, he spoke of giants existing in our ancient past as far back as Atlantis and mystic Rudolf Steiner also made mention of giants existing in Atlantis. And Native American origin and creation stories <clears throat> indicate migrations from other planets have occurred in our ancient past. And some even speak of transoceanic migrations and boats in our prehistoric times. And we seem to have very good evidence for that now. And the dating of a lot of these artifacts and mummies does go back to at least 9,000, 10,000 years ago. Um, and, and one, you know, such group of artifacts dating as far back as 9,000 BC. So that would be about 11,000 years ago. And giants were even found in the Channel Islands off the coast of California, again, indicating that there was a larger race of humans that existed that were seafaring. And Edgar Cayce even talks about the largest migration from Atlantis occurring about 10,000 years ago, and that the survivors went to northeastern coastal areas in America and Canada, becoming the Iroquois Native Americans, and, and likely, you know, many of our other Native American groups who survived and migrated in different directions. And this information is now also being corroborated by new findings like the Gobekli Tepe site in Turkey, which has been dated to 9,600 BC and contains carved stones that are erected in this like circular and spiral like temple or ceremonial design. And having seen photos of this site, you can clearly see that this is, you know, this megalithic like, you know, construction is larger in size than the average human might take on. And it's also in an area of the world where the Nephilim or watchers were reported to have interacted with humans. So we've got a lot of evidence mounting for the existence of giants. We have a lot of both physical evidence and corroborative evidence as we look across cultures, across origin stories, as we delve into some of the more mystically sourced information that again is starting to validate a lot of the physical evidence that has been found. And many authors have stated that their opinion is that they believe that the mounds of North America were created by biblical giants or later generations of them, and that they were not created 
totally by our Native American tribes. And, and so we've, we've lost this understanding of this other race of beings or humans, humanoid-like beings that lived on our planet. And, and again, in some mounds and graves, there's been evidence shown for taller Native Americans which, you know, maybe the evidence of that interbreeding um, that has occurred between these, you know, biblical giants and the smaller race of humans that survived the flood. So, so we bring all of this forward to, again, beg the question, is it time to rewrite our human history completely? Did we really get a lot of it wrong? Or was history just written through the lens of the, the people who made the conquest? Is our true human history something that is kind of scary to the powers that be or to those who chose the history they feel most comfortable telling? And, you know, what does this mean about our early human origins. Based on the last book talk that we did that Sinead delivered, it's starting to appear that our human history is so much more complex than we ever understood or wanted to acknowledge. And now that we have the ability to piece all of this evidence together, and now that we have the ability to more fully understand what some of those passages in the Bible might have actually been meaning or pointing to, we can start to see that one, we're not the only race of beings who have ever existed on earth. Two, giants are absolutely real. Three, giants came from the stars. <laughs> they are of star race origin. The giants are the Nephilim and fallen angels of the Bible and star race beings who interacted and interbreeded with humans to create a, a smaller version of giant that flourished and lived on earth for thousands of years until the great flood happened and, and then continued to flourish a bit longer after that um, in various ways on the planet. So We've got good substantial evidence, and we're not even going into all of it in this podcast episode. We're not even talking about all of the different megalithic sites that exist on Earth. And when you start to go into that level of detail, it does tell us that we've got a very, very big history project on our hands. We've got to rewrite our human history for future generations and face that shadow, face this this shadow side of us that has not wanted to look at that history, that has not wanted to acknowledge what was largely erased by the colonial conquests around the world. And so we have the ability to, to change that now and to bring into light what is our actual human history and to learn from that and to recognize our connection with the stars and to recognize the uh, level of knowledge that existed in previous civilizations on earth. And 
With all of this, that allows us to use that knowledge in ways that might benefit us at this time. And that knowledge I speak of is that magical knowledge, is that knowledge of how the universe works, the mechanics of existence, how we can work with energy and shift energy and manipulate energy to help us live more harmoniously, help us live in lighter, higher vibe ways and ways where we can all flourish and thrive. And and so we've been through a very complex history on the planet that has not been taught to us that way. So it's our mission at Star Family Wisdom to, to bring you nuggets and clues and evidence that you can start to piece together to help form your new world view. And it's my passion and opinion now that we should be willing to change our minds when presented with new evidence. I certainly have. As I've looked at all of this evidence that is being presented, I am welcoming a new version of our human history, and I hope that you do that with me. And if you want to learn even more about some of these aspects of our human history that help us awaken to the spiritual nature of our reality, check out our Spiritual Awakening 101 course, where we go into some of the detail of Native American origin stories, some ancient cultures like ancient Egypt, the ancient Mayan culture, and what we can learn from those cultures and maybe what we have misinterpreted about the history of those cultures. So we start in that course going into some of that information and go even deeper in our other courses. So check that out if you're interested in, in, in diving into the spiritual evolution that is possible as we access this information. So enjoy Jim and Hugh's book. Definitely pick it up and check it out. It is an easy read. They have done a great job presenting, uh, you know, well-structured and organized information and evidence in a way that helps you, uh, again, just start to see the, the truth of what is there, what's right under our noses, what is hidden in plain sight. And they also do a really nice job of, I think, kind of summarizing this question right? This question about what do we do with this information now? And how does this, how does this change our view of ourselves and our world and the universe that we live in? And if you want to learn more about star shrines and some of these mound sites, check out our episode, Star Shrines of the Desert Southwest, where we talk specifically about a star shrine site in Arizona, Colorado and Arizona, that was set up by the Hopi tribe after they emerged into the fourth world. And we talk about how that star shrine um, plan, that star shrine ground plan aligns with a specific energy line, a specific ley line on earth that is a very powerful one and one that is aligned with the Orion constellation in a really specific way. And we go into some detail about what is special about that site and what we can learn about our star origins as we examine that site. 
So there's so much more to explore and dig into. I hope this gets you excited and pumped to do your own exploration and check out Search for Giants on the History Channel if you want the adventurous uh, view of this, this work and the, the research that's going on out there. Uh, you might see Jim and Hugh on the History Channel. And we'll link to the book in the show notes so that you can access that easily. And I hope that this, you know, gives you some, some sense of what we're recovering and what we're able to reintegrate into our understanding of ourselves and our place among the stars. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you liked this episode. If you want to hear more, if you want to see more on YouTube, subscribe so that you don't miss any of our content. You can always find us on the podcast apps as well. And check out the show notes to links to our website where you can access lots of free resources, content, programs, courses for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next time on the next episode. Bye for now.